0: Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Stephen Detrolio talks to Dr. Raimundo Barreto and Dr. Jao Chavez about Christian nationalism in Brazil, the United States, and beyond. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to HTI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Stephen DeTroller Coakley. I'm here in Princeton, New Jersey, and I have the joy of uh, talking about their recent articles. I'm gonna be interviewing Dr. Raimundo Barreto and Dr. Joao Chavez. Welcome.
1: Thank you, glad to be here. Thank you.
0: And I would love for you both to kind of tell a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to the audience who maybe is not familiar with your work. So I'll ask uh, Dr. Joao, you're in, in my screen right here, Dr. Joao Chavez to go first, kind of tell a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then um, Professor Barreto.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. I I am, like Stephen said, Joao Chavez, I am now serving as Associate Director for Programming at the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Um, and I am, so I work as an administrator within higher education. Uh, it's housed at Princeton Theological Seminary, HTI. And I'm, uh, by training, I'm a historian. Uh, I'm interested in world Christianity, uh, particularly connections between the US and Latin America. Um, and uh, my, my doctorate is at Bell University where I, I got to, uh, to hang out with historians and sociologists quite a bit, uh, interested in questions about religious participation, ethnic, ethnic construction, racial dynamics uh, within and across national and transnational borders. So that, that's, that's what I do in a nutshell. Uh, and I've been of course a big, big fan of Raimondo Barreto for a long time. Uh, so it's always a pleasure when I when I have uh, uh, you know the 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 opportunity of working with with him in in anything. And it was a joy writing this article with him, uh, who has uh, just been a a voice uh, that I have f- heard and, and celebrated uh, in not only now as he is at Princeton as a as a, a tenured professor, but even before when he worked at the Baptist World Alliance and and has been really a a powerful voice in so many settings. And it's been a privilege to to work with him and to be here with him today.
2: Okay, I'm Raimundo Barreto. Uh, I am speaking from Princeton, uh, where I teach uh, World Christianity. And uh, I'll I'll begin where João left. I'll begin just uh, by saying how pleased I am uh, to be able to work with uh, João, uh, who for me is the... I, was, I used to say that he was a, a rising star. Now I can say that he is an actual star <laughs> in the field uh, of history and world Christianity with all his publications, his contributions to important themes and conversations, uh, especially uh, in terms of the, this uh, transnational phenomenon of Christianity. Focuses particularly particularly on the experience of uh, Brazilian and and Brazilian Christianities, uh, Brazil and the United States. So uh, I admire João and his work since before he graduated from uh, Baylor, uh, because he had already a the publication uh, then on, on an evangelical liberation theology that I, I had the fortune to read and uh, and and, and uh, learn from. So, it's a pleasure to be here. I currently, uh, on top of teaching uh, World Christianity at Princeton, I'm one of the uh, conveners of the World Christianity Conference uh, at Princeton Theological Seminary. We had uh, three conferences up to uh, 2021. With the pandemic now, we took a break, but there is one coming up in March of 2023. I'm also uh, uh, series editor uh, for the series "What Christianity and Public Religion at Fortress Press. Uh, and like Joao, I have been writing uh, on, on the topic of Christianity worldwide, but with a particular focus on uh, Brazil and Latin America.
0: And full disclosure to our audience, I, I work with Raimundo, he's uh, my advisor, and I also collaborate very often with Joao. So this is... Uh, a good conversation between people who know each other so thank you all for for being here the article was published in the christian century at the end of last year and it's titled christian nationalism is thriving in bolsonaro's brazil this year is an important year for brazil because there is a election coming up uh, in the fall correct yes the american fall um, and a lot of dynamics but i would love for you to talk about the process and kind of the discussion uh, for both of you in writing this article? Uh, what was kind of the background to that? Obviously, you both are uh, thinking about this because your home is Brazil, but kind of what what led up to writing this uh, article? Um, Professor bredo Okay, so uh, in
2: 2016, uh, I, I co-authored an article for the Christian century uh, about the impeachment of of Dilma Rousseff, the former president of Brazil, uh, who had just been impeached at the time. Uh, And uh, one of the things that came to mind uh, was the the huge participation of evangelical leaders in the articulation of the conditions that led uh, her uh, to a situation of being impeached and impeached without a crime. Uh, so, the article that I, I co wrote with uh, uh, Professor Claudio Carvalhais from Union Theological Seminary highlighted the fact that although there was no crime, and even people who voted for uh, impeach, impeachment said that much, that there was no crime, but she didn't have the political support she needed to continue to be the president of Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, 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 we noticed how uh, a right-wing alliance was being formed uh, and which involved uh, the agribusiness people, the pro-gun lobby, and uh, evangelicals. Uh, so uh, we wrote that article in 2016 and, uh, and the situation only got worse. Uh, since that point with uh, the election of uh, Jair Bolsonaro in 2018 with uh, a, a huge support of evangelicals. Uh, but n- now, uh, not only evangelicals, but but also uh, conservative Catholics being part of uh, his base uh, and uh, thinking about a, a future for the country in, in an idealistically uh, Christian conservative fashion. Uh, Evangelical politicians that had run for office before had not done. So this was, I think was the beginning of the conversation uh, between João and myself about the need to actually update the situation uh, and inform uh, the uh, readership uh, in the U.S. and beyond, about uh, the developments that had taken place since 2016 and what that said to us today. uh, So it's not only about informing uh, the public, but also thinking about uh, a phenomenon that we uh, know is not particularly Brazilian. Uh, So uh, we also could see the comparisons, the the connections between what happened in the US uh, between uh, 2016 and, and, and still happening here. Uh, we we talk about the January six invasion of the Congress, uh, and, uh, and and seeing those comparisons, we felt we need to actually uh, think again uh, and and uh, address that problem again uh, now uh, with these these new lenses of uh, what we call uh, a messianic uh, a messianic Bolsonarismo mm. uh, phenomenon that is particular uh, to to the Brazilian situation, but uh, in terms of uh, religious uh, nationalism uh, as a phenomenon that's broader, that is transnational, and in that is transreligious as well.
1: If I, if I couldn't thank you for that, I mean that's that. And if I could mention that as well, I think that uh, it is important to note that uh, in terms of of how we, I came. I believe there's some overlap with was experience too. Both of us, you know, uh, were uh, you know, uh, in, in, in the dictatorship, uh, I was, uh, you know, young child born in, in the Brazilian dictatorship. Raimundo also passed through that, that phase there in Brazil um, and, and uh, in, in particular geographic regions that uh, were, in, in certain ways, uh, places of resistance against um, that, uh, you know, the northeastern part of Brazil. Uh, that, that disposition uh, and we had our own different trajectories within uh, Brazilian evangelicalism. And here I use the word uh, evangelical as is used often in Brazil as a synonym of Protestant um, rather than as a, a necessary uh, a synonym to, to how it's used here in the US. Although I think that, th- that one argument could be made for the, the, the overlapping you know, use of those terms. Uh, But we we, we saw a lot of this development, the developments happened, the growth of of, uh, US uh, kind of missionary uh, influence in Brazilian evangelicalism, um, how how evangelicalism began to grow in Brazil in certain ways or in in forms. Um, And then also having lived in the United States and having experienced the rise of the kind of uh, conservatism here, uh, we kind of live and still do live in many in many material ways in both worlds and see the, and see and experience both developments uh, from a particular standpoint. right. So uh, so when I approach the topic of making these comparisons for us is, of course also a matter of understanding the literatures and and doing you know ethnographic and historical studies in these areas that we have done that touch on this topic. but it's also having had experience and still continue to experience, these developments in both countries, both in Brazil and here. Uh, so that is sort of, uh, we, we come to this, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with that background and experience of having lived in, in these two worlds in significant ways in engaged ways uh, in trying to articulate these developments that, uh, that others are beginning to do some research on. We mentioned in the article, for example, Ben Cowan's book, uh, mm-hmm. Moral Majorities Across the Americas, that argues that without Brazil, uh, you know, there is no Christian nationalism in the U.S. in the way we see it, right? So these two nations build these things together. Uh, so having a historical uh, kind of a perspective and looking back, uh, one in certain ways can see the trick being done. Yeah, uh, and we try we we try to articulate that in the article, uh, you know, on how the uh, In in some ways, um, there are there is some continuity uh, to this kind of rise uh, in in Brazilian nationalism, Christian nationalism in Brazil, uh, to the influence, the direct influence of U.S. evangelicalism via missions and and foreign policies and you know and 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 other uh, kind of initiatives that uh, that uh, affected the Brazilian government.
0: One of the the things when people think of Latin America in the North American context, at least in some of the relationships that I've had a conversation of, is this kind of essentialization that Latin America is Catholic and, 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 and perceiving it and seeing it from a Catholic light. I would love it if you guys could kind of talk a little bit about, because here we have kind of a huge... Um, and I think you both do a really good job explaining the influence that evangelicals have in Brazil, but that didn't come from nothing. So I would love if you could go backwards a little bit, as far as you see fit, um, the the history of that rise of evangelicals in a predominantly Catholic continent. I'll go with uh,
1: Professor João. Oh, well, yeah, that's uh, that. That would take a long time to to uh, to distill, but I, but I will mention this. Some highlights, that, at least. Yeah, well, it's important to know that that or to highlight that even while Brazil was still predominantly Catholic, and some demographers have saying that twenty thirty two is the year in which Brazil is going to become a predominantly Protestant nation. So the shift is happening. Part of this shift is a result of the cooperation between the dictatorships and evangelicals in trying to suppress Roman Catholicism in Brazil, particularly those liberationists with more liberationist aspirations and commitments. Um, so that you see already there, you know, in a way, uh, the, the growth of evangelicalism in Brazil already comes out of these partnerships uh, with nationalist um, conservative governments. Uh, but even before all of that happens, it, uh, all the dictatorship uh, happens. For example, in the it begins in the 1960s. Uh, it's important to note that U.S. Christians already affect uh, Brazilian policy in so many different ways. And here, uh, one one important highlight is, mention, is mentioning uh in Rockefeller uh, and and uh, the, the money that uh, he invested via the U.S. governments and other initiatives in what a historian called Antonio Tota called the seduction of Brazil, mm. uh, right? Especially in, during the Second World War in which, uh, you know, via means of uh, popular culture, cinema, movies uh, uh, in, in, uh, theater and, and theater uh, and, and other means, there is a very uh, intensive kind of investment in turning Brazil into a pro-American nation, which wasn't always the case. Um, And you can see that via my own study with American missionaries in in Brazil, for example. You see after the Second World War, in their correspondences with each other, they are celebrating that Brazil is becoming more and more Mm pro-American. That is in part a result of U.S. foreign policy uh, that is, again, uh, drowned in uh, the, the presuppositions of different streams of U.S. Christianity some of it evangelical, some of it uh, of other other dispositions, but it all affects uh, uh, that dynamic. And again, when the dictatorship comes, uh, evangelicals in Brazil are quick uh, to to partner with dictators, uh, especially in the dictatorship's disposition to suppressing progressive Roman Catholicism, uh, which in turn uh, informs the growth of evangelicalism in the nation. Uh, I actually had a discussion not too long ago with uh, with a few scholars who uh, who seem almost celebratory about the shift.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know,
1: uh, they were happen to be Protestant, of Protestantism growing as if it, uh, it 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 was a development without its complexities and issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's a deeply problematic and complex story that again involves these partnerships with. Uh, dictatorships, uh, which granted, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, rights to TV and, and radio stations, and you know, it it granted uh, it certain certain state favors that helped and informed the growth of evangelicalism in the nation. Um, and and there are there are other uh, connections there that that could be made, but uh, again, it would take us a long time to trace all of those. I wonder which ones Raimundo would like to highlight as well.
2: So thank you very much, John for for this very comprehensive uh, analysis. Uh, uh, and let me go back to the motivations uh, of our uh, writing. Uh, we wrote, of course, as as scholars of world Christianity, but also as uh, people interested in informing a broad audience in the U.S. Uh, about a, a, a situation that uh, concerns us uh, and. Uh, in that sense, we we all uh, have our experiences uh, with uh, both Brazilian Christianity and Brazilian politics. Uh, and uh, uh, both of us grew up in evangelical uh, churches in Brazil. I am a little older uh, than João, uh, not by much, I believe, but uh, uh, the, when I was growing up, evangelicals were a minority, clearly uh, a religious minority. Uh, in the 70s, uh, that minority was not more than 5% of the population. Uh, so uh, Protestantism in general in Brazil is, is still a young uh, religious tradition. That's that's for most of Latin America. Yeah, uh, uh, In the case of Brazil, the first Brazilian Protestant church was founded in 1958. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any uh, church or any attempt to uh, implement Protestantism before that uh, did not last, uh, Mm -hmm. were very temporary attempts. Uh, So when that happened, Brazil was already declared Catholic, Mm. Uh, It was one of the the, the council that was declared Catholic very early in its uh, life. So Protestantism had to affirm itself over against the background of a dominant Catholicism. Uh, Things changed, uh, I would say, in favor uh, of the Protestant ideal uh, with the proclamation of the Republic in Brazil in in, in 1889, because uh, there was a movement also, that involved the liberal ideal of separation of church and state. And Protestants were perceived, Protestant missionaries at the time were perceived as, as uh, partners of that, in that ideal. Uh, but still, uh, the influence of Protestantism was minimal, was, was small, uh, and in many times, as Joel highlighted, was perceived as also in the light of, uh, of, of the North, North American growing influence upon the region. Uh, so I, I'm just right now uh, revising uh, the manuscript of a book that will come up uh, next year, protesting poverty, uh, and, uh, and and looking at the beginning of the 20th century. And in the, in the beginning of the 20th century, what we see is uh, a rising uh, Protestant leadership among Brazilians. And part of that leadership is suspicious of the missionaries and the missionaries' intention intentions because they connect those intentions with a, a growing sense of American imperialism, uh, which is information. Uh, so uh, there are two fronts in which these young leaders are uh, 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 trying to, to form a Brazilian identity of, of, of Protestantism. One is to affirm uh, itself over against the Catholic majority, and the other one, is to distinguish itself from uh, American imperialism because that's how also many Catholics perceive them. So uh, this is a foreign religion. This is not our religion. Mm. And this is part of, of the American interests uh, in these lands. So that change, that begins to change uh, with this, this uh, growing sentiment of, uh, of uh, nationality. Uh, and, and here, it's, it's important to say there is a difference between nationality, a sentiment of national, national identity and the kind of nationalism that we're speaking at, uh, about uh, in the article. So there is a sense in the, in the 50s and 60s among many Protestants that uh, Protestantism needed to become Brazilian. Uh, so we have to have our own identity as Protestants. Uh, That was a problem more for Protestants than for for Catholics, because Catholics already understood themselves as Brazilians. Protestants need to affirm themselves as Brazilians. Uh, And so that gave rise to uh, several movements, including a Protestant stream of liberation theology. Mm. But still, in the 70s, Protestantism was a minority. And even those who aligned themselves with the dictatorial regime that started in 1964, uh, they did that to gain favor because they felt out of favor. They always felt that they were disfavored uh, in comparison with the Catholics who actually had access to everything. So uh, it was during this period of 21 years of dictatorship when uh, the discourse of Brazilian Protestants was mostly uh, to avoid politics and to, to, to create a sense of, of, of uh, being uh, apolitical, apolitical that uh, at the same time they were showing obedience, subservience to uh, the regime and gaining some favors including uh, the access to radio communications, uh, TV stations that ended up becoming a very important factor uh, for uh, the expansion of uh, Protestantism that we see happening, especially after the end of the dictatorship, the second half of the 1980s. So what we see, uh, I, and how I see this, is that uh, today, although numerically, Protestants are still a minority, may be shifting towards a, uh, becoming a majority in the future, they're still numerically a minority, their behavior has changed because now they, uh, they, they see themselves as capable of occupying public spaces, of taking the nation over and, and then making the nation a nation of God. And that's where the, the sentiment of, uh, of nationality shifts towards nationalism. Mm-hmm. Because now okay. there is an identification of the nation as a whole with a, a, a certain understanding of Christianity which is uh, in some sense evangelical, but not simply evangelical, is it's, it's conservative, it's, it's Christian and conservative. It makes room for Catholics and evangelicals who, are, who, who hold a conservative morality to affirm their own identity as the identity of the nation. And I think we captured that in the, in the article, and, and I have to give credit to João here, uh, through the use of uh, uh, of the description of Bolsonaro as a pan christian president mm-hmm. uh, because Bolsonaro managed to do something that no other politician has done before uh, catholic uh, uh, catholic politicians have never tracked the attention of protestants evangelicals especially and evangelical politicians have never won uh, at least on the level of the presidency because they have have always also, uh, not attracted Catholics uh, to vote on them. Bolsonaro, who is a Catholic, married to a Brazil, to a Baptist, uh, and who goes to either church anyway because he has never been committed to go to church at all, but who can feel at home in any of the churches, have a has a discourse that actually uh, attracts both. Conservative Catholics and and conservative Evangelical. And now he's saying, that's the future of the nation. That's how the nation should look like. And to add another
0: layer to that, whose middle name is Messias.
2: Messias, Messiah.
0: Messiah. (laughs) Messiah. So, yeah, I wanted to to talk a a little more about this kind of enmeshed um, nature. But I'll ask one question first. What shifted in the... Uh, political imaginary of evangelicals to say, we need to go now for these political positions. You know, I think of, you know, Eduardo Cunha, uh, Sostenes Cavalcante, Everaldo Pereira. These are all kind of the, maybe the most you know, uh, known figures of evangelicalism on the right in uh, Brazilian politics. But what shifted in the evangelical mindset? Um, especially in the conservative right-wing mindset to say, we need to now go for the political sphere. And I'll, I'll open that to either one of you.
1: Well, I'll take a stab at it. Um, and, and to, I, I mean, I, I, I see lots of continuity, more than shifts. Um, I, I see, I, I mean, I again, we're talking about a diverse movement. As Raimundo mentioned, to talk about Isal, you know, and uh, and other movements uh, from where there were even liberationist expressions of, of Protestantism. Um, although, before you know, mentioning three people connected to Princeton here in, in a way or another, uh, that it was the very uh, one of the very colleagues of, of uh, Hubert Alves, one of these Protestant figures in liberation theology, that kind of. Uh, uh, expose him to the dangers of uh, what could have happened to him if he had not you know, gone to New Jersey in exile in a way. Um, all of that to say that uh, from, from my perspective, there's a lot more continuity than shifts uh, in, in, in terms of ideological uh, dispositions, you know? Um, the, there is a shift in opportunity, in numer- the, the numbers keep on growing, that gives you know more representational power, you know, shifts in that sense, yes. Um, do i think there are sharp sharp ideological shifts uh, that make bolsonaro an aberration um in, in, in the in the sense that uh I, you know he is a completely different direction than you know uh, the, the the most of the uh the missionary first converts to brazilian evangelicalism kind of represented and might have wanted i am not so sure um it, it uh yeah, so uh, again, I, I see I see a lot of continuity here, uh, a lot more than shifts. So of course there, there have been, like I said, shifts in you know, opportunities and in political scenarios. And I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it wasn't, uh, Bolsonaro is not, it was never a, uh, a uh, foregone conclusion. However, uh, when you look at the, the, the major voices within uh, you know, evangelicalism. Despite the exceptions, um, I, I do not see as you know him as an aberration necessarily. Mm-hmm. I see him as more so as the conclusion of a, of a plan that it took a little bit to come to light. Um, so, and then here is where Haymoun and I might might have a, a you know a, a different emphasis on this. I'll be I'll be curious to know how he would approach that question.
2: Yeah, I, I i in general i agree with uh, what you're saying uh, it's not necessarily a change in, in, in uh, motifs uh, in bolsonaro as you said it's not a, uh, it's not an aberration i think bolsonaro is the, is the opposite is is the convenient option mm-hmm. <laughs> bolsonaro becomes the 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 political leader that's capable of realizing something that has been dreamt of, dreamt about for uh, a long while. Uh, In terms of uh, of the evangelical sector, I would say that uh, that dream begins uh, with the election of uh, a number of Pentecostals, neo-Pentecostals to the uh, Constituent Assembly in 19... uh, 86 uh, and, uh, and and it's part of that uh, uh they the, the a strategy in brazil is put forward forward first of all by neocoss who begin to embrace uh, uh, a Dominion theology very early and talk uh, and early here I, i'm talking about the post dictatorship uh reality of brazil the, the a period that we call in Brazil the red, red, democ- the red democratization of Brazil, 1986 onwards. Uh, so uh, if you see a, a map of, uh, of of in, in the strategy that happens first among Pentecostals and neo Pentecostals, then it spreads to other sectors within uh, the evangelical churches, is the number of people who get elected mm. uh, So we always had a few evangelicals elected to uh, political office uh, earlier, but uh, the numbers increased drastically uh, after the uh, end of the dictatorship, beginning with the 1986 election, and then uh, in in the 90s, and it's still increasing today. I believe that right now, 25% 25% of the Congress, approximately, uh, is populated by evangelicals. And here, uh, here I'm using now evangelicals as Juan used well in the beginning uh, as this broad term, including Pentecostal, Pentecostal, what in Brazil we call historical evangelicals, uh, and uh, and even mainline. Uh, so we have all, all these. Uh, uh, presence uh, becoming a part of the strategy of uh, occupying public spaces and making the nation uh, a Christian nation, uh, a nation of God. Now, this is not new in Brazilian uh, history, because if we think about the, the uh, movement of integralism in the 1930s, if we think about the uh, the tradition, family, and property marches prior to the coup d'etat in 1964. uh, This was the same kind of intent, uh, making sure that Brazil is not lost to communism, Mm. is not lost to uh, uh, secularism, but it it is, at that point, was a Catholic. It is a Catholic nation that cares about family. That cares about property. And that's interesting, because here we see the, the, the neo the, the liberal capitalism that will become neoliberal capitalism uh, beginning to also uh, influence uh, that uh, Christian identity. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, say it, it's a it's a, it's a nation that cares about God. Uh, Protestants didn't participate then because they were too small. <laughs> they were a minority. And if they participate, we don't know. Uh, much about what kind of contribution they have, they might have offered to that. But certainly they were sympathetic to, to that same cause. Uh, after the red democratization, what shifts uh, uh, is numbers. So uh, with the growth, with the visibility uh, that this just begin to have, uh, they now see that it is possible. We can actually have someone uh, we can elect people. We can have our own representatives first to defend our interests uh, in, in all uh, at all levels of Brazilian politics, beginning with uh, with the city councils, uh, mayors, the the, the lower uh, chamber of Congress, Senate uh, senators, governors, and finally thinking we can have a. Uh, 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 an evangelical president. That was the essence uh, of this idea, uh, with uh, uh, António Garotinho uh, being uh, the first uh, person to run uh, for the president of Brazil in, in 2002 on the basis of uh, a narrative of conversion. Uh, he was the first one to say uh, "I, uh, whose story was a story of conversion. I was lost. I have been found uh, and I'm I'm a person of God trying to to run this country. Uh, We had others trying to do the same, but they never got the numbers. Uh, And the three losses uh, to uh, the Workers' Party uh, in 2002, 2004, and 2010 led, I think, the political conditions to change now to think to think more pragmatically about how can we take this back? So we think here, for example, about the, the MAGA movement, which is a movement trying to take the nation back uh, to something. Uh, and, uh, and, and and in Brazil, I believe there is a, a, a correlate movement going on uh, where uh, there is, a, in, in, in a certain sense, uh, there is a, a, an agenda of taking the country back. And Bolsonaro just uh, served on that wave and was the the most uh, pragmatic candidate to say, I can do this for you. And to make a promise, I will do this for you. If I'm elected, I'll put someone, one of you, a terribly evangelical person, uh, and how he, he named it in the Supreme Court. Uh, I will surround myself of uh, of pastors. Uh, I will do what you want, uh, and that I think was the the the, the practical condition for uh, for his election. Because Bolsonaro, as 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 you know, John, is not someone whose moral values uh, align with what used to be the evangelical moral values in Brazil. Uh, but uh, suddenly, in the same way as Trump became the representative uh, of, uh, of uh, evangelicals in, in the United States without being someone uh, whom uh, evangelicals would be proud of uh, but being, being seen as an instrument for the transformation of the contract at their own image, uh, Bolsonaro becomes that instrument, uh, the one who can deliver uh, the promise of, uh, of of turning this country morally into uh, an image that we recognize as our own, or a desirable image.
0: One of the things that uh, you both bring up in the article, I think it was a sociologist by the name Hess, yes. uh, um, I forget the first name, but talking about how Brazil, and then you guys nuance it, of course, but Brazil is the Reverse image or the mirror image, or I forget what the exact analogy is uh, of uh, the political landscape in the United States, and I, I would I would love to hear uh, your reflections on similarities between the evangelical right in the United States with the evangelical right in Brazil, and also. Uh, differences, not necessarily that they're completely analogous, because you, you in the article you trace um, kind of this political evangelical relationship between the United States and Brazil through people like Steve Bannon, uh, Stephen Miller, and his his kind of bolstering of right wing parties there. So. I would love for you to talk a little bit about uh, similarities and differences between uh, two, the, both contexts, the United States and Brazil, and we'll go with Joao.
1: Okay, well, thank you for that. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, to just, um, yeah, I also point out that when Obama visited Brazil uh, in, in, in his speech in Rio, and I won't remember perfectly what his words were, um, but he also said, you know, our nations have very similar histories. And Then he went on to um, to, to name what those histories were. Um, and in terms of the similarities of evangelicalisms, you know, both in the U.S. and in Brazil, uh, I think it's important to name also um, Stephen the mechanisms by which they are transmitted and 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 maintained. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example: the publication houses and periodicals, right? That uh, that that Christians are, uh, uh, Protestants or Evangelicals are reading. They don't just talk about uh, doctrinal matters. Those periodicals, uh, early periodicals, and here I have uh, you know major denominations like the Methodists, the. Uh, you, uh, the, uh, the the Presbyterians and Baptist assemblies of God was a little bit different because they got a Swedish train there rather than a western there's a distinction there in, uh, but when you read those periodicals you, you especially early on in the in their first decades you don't read just doctrinal matters you read world history and a particular interpretations of world history world politics um so the, this this population they are reading especially the denominational re- leaders they are reading these periodicals, they are not only learning about theology, they are also learning about a whole social imagination. Um, and so that, that's one of the ways by which these similarities are, are uh, you know, uh, kind of maintained. I'll give an example. Uh, in, in the 1920s, when the Scopes trials is, are happening in the US, you have a whole interpretation happening, you know, coming out in periodicals in Brazil, that is anti-evolution, uh, you know, in using the Scopes trial in the US from a very conservative evangelical interpretation to make that argument, um, right? Uh, so, I mean, it is of course a theologically informed argument, but it is from a, a very particular standpoint that touches on other uh, aspects. Prohibition, prohibition is happening in the US. Periodicals in Brazil that are ruled by missionaries are advocating for prohibition to be established in Brazil too. I mean, this is some denominations more than others. Of course, uh, but all of that to say that uh, that 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 the similarities are maintained in that way, the books that are translated in theological seminaries uh, and, and are use in the classroom up until this day. Uh, if if uh, you know uh, for the pastoral exams, some of the books that people need to know are written by conservative American theologians. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, so I. Uh, so doctrinally, uh, there is a lot of that, that that's lots of overlap, and there is a lot of um, of um, you know uh, literature. Uh, I would say that the great majority of, of, of the literature that is used by leaders and in, uh, in denominational publishing houses that use it in Sunday schools and then in the training of the pastors and on and on are translated material, mostly from the West. Um, so um, when you form the minds of generations of leaders via these means, uh, it is expected that, uh, you know, um, the, the uh, outcome is a very similar um, mentality, uh, theologically, socially, politically, and so on. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so just point out that, um, you know it, the, the the overlap in those terms is 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 very very large. Um, there are of course exceptions to that, but that's not the majority. That's and then there are two kind of tensions here. Again, I'm very curious to hear what Hanun has to say is that there are exceptions, but they are minor, minoritized exceptions from within. The Brazilian evangelical world. And there is another dynamic there is that they also seem to be codependent from US literature from the other side of the ideological spectrum, right? mm. Although that spectrum tends to open room for contextual uh, uh, um, approaches uh, and welcome and encourage them in ways that the conservative among the spectrum might not. Um, so that's, uh, it, it's a, a dire reality in those terms. Uh, w- when it comes to Brazilian evangelicalism writ large. Uh, so again, and you have all of those dynamic ha- dynamics happening within contexts that are growing numerically and also in terms of political and economic power. That,
2: that's totally uh, true. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking here, João, that uh, the first name of the Brazilian Republic was the United States of Brazil. Uh, and uh, and how uh, not only Brazil but uh, uh, among those fighting for independence uh, in the Latin American nations uh, in, in the uh, 19th century there was uh, the ideal the, the idea of becoming what the United States was mm-hmm. and even of, of seeking support from the United States to fight uh, the the uh, Iberian uh, imperialism, uh, and then there is the disappointment, because at that point uh, uh, this, the United States was becoming something else, and was not uh, uh, totally in its interest anymore to have a second United States being formed in the South. But that was the 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 uh, ideal of uh, of 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 some of the liberators in Latin America, so called liberators. There. They want to form this this uh, union of states in the South that would resemble, in some ways, uh, what had happened uh, in, in the North. That, that doesn't help, happen. Uh, in the case of Brazil, uh, the uh, way, as the first Republican constitution uh, is, is uh, created, is also in resemblance of several values taken from uh, the, the United States experience. So on the political uh, end, there has always been this mirror, and, and I think the, the uh, reference that Steven was mentioning was uh, uh, one from David Hass, an anthropologist uh, who uh, who uh, edits a book with uh, with a Brazilian uh, sociologist or anthropologist as well, uh, Robert Damata. Mm-hmm. Uh, called the Brazilian puzzle uh, and talking about the Brazilian puzzle he says that Brazil is is the distorted mirror of the United States states and vice versa so uh, there is, there, so in that sense there is resemblance but there is also difference uh, for example uh, Brazil like the United States Brazil had uh, a, a, a very tragic reality of uh of uh, slavery, uh, of millions of uh, uh, people kidnapped and, uh, and trafficked to Brazil from Africa. Uh, many of them uh, died in the process. And uh, at least two times or three times as, as many of those who made to the United States stayed in Brazil. So Brazil has had like the United States to deal with uh, uh, race and racism, uh, and founded some ways of dealing with with this. So, uh, in the case of Brazil, uh, the, the the idea of miscegenation and whitening whitening through miscegenation contrasts with the uh, the one drop rule uh, that uh, it, it was predominant in the United States. But yet, they both were dealing with the, th- the same things. Uh, as Joan highlighted in the religious uh, realm, uh, both uh, among uh, liberal Protestants, uh, ecumenists, through literature, uh, through uh, the uh, formation of the theological institutions in Brazil, many of which were headed by uh, US missionaries for a long time, uh, so, for instance, uh, uh, the, in the conference of uh, the Congress of Panama in 1916, which is considered to be the, the, the birthplace of uh, Latin American uh, ecumenism, uh, there was at the same time that there was this, this beginning of a, of a suspicion of, of, about the interests uh, of, of, of these missionaries who wanted to, to Protestantize. Latin America to make Latin American Protestant and beginning beginning with the the, the uh, union of, of um, missionary agencies to evangelize the the continent and then make it even more uh, a resemblance of the United States then than, than, than uh, it was uh, but at the same time that they, they, some people some leaders young leaders in Latin America rejecting that they were embracing uh, the theology of the social gospel that was very influential uh, in terms of the, the developments of, of the more progressive uh, aspects of, of Latin American protestantism prior to the uh, rise of liberation theology. Uh, in, in, in the article, we talk more about the contemporary influence. Uh, João highlighted already literature. We can talk about the televangelists. We can talk about social media, uh, these days. But uh, let's uh, think about uh, the connections uh, that were made during the Trump administration when uh, Mike Pence and, and Mike Pompeo uh, actually used their political influence uh, to force or, or to, to promote relig- or religious uh, meetings uh, in Brasilia or bring. Brazilians uh, to the capital, uh, to to Washington, uh, for training uh, by people like uh, uh, Ralph Drollinger and the capital ministries. Uh, There were uh, people uh, that uh, were with uh, with, uh, uh, the Trump administration who have been direct counsels uh, to Bolsonaro or to his Children. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, Stephen mentioned uh, Steve Bannon. Uh, Steve Bannon has actually been a direct counsel to Eduardo Bolsonaro, who is himself uh, a senator, uh, uh, in, in a, a congressperson in, in, in Brazil, and the son of the president, and one of the articulators of the Bolsonaro uh, campaign in, in 2018, but also. Uh, of, of his uh, communication uh, and strategic communication to evangelicals these days. Uh, so this, this uh, is another dimension that I think is, is less explored about uh, how uh, today uh, the, the, there are these alliances being formed which involve uh, uh, people in Brazil, in the United States, in Hungary, in Poland, uh, and in other parts of the world forming conservative alliances, uh, believing that one can a- actually help the other uh, make it. Right now, what we hear in the US is the opposite. It's saying we have to keep Bolsonaro in power because the success of Bolsonaro may help Trump come back to power. Hmm. Uh, so that—that that is uh, the, the dynamic that I think uh, is going on these days. And that uh, shows uh, how this situation of a uh, of, uh, of, uh, distorted mirror uh, remains. Uh, by distorted mirror, I would highlight the idea that, uh, uh, of course, everything that happens in a particular context gains the, the uh, clauses that uh, belong to that particular culture. So we cannot talk about uh, Eduardo Bolsonaro or Jair Bolsonaro in the same way uh, we talk about uh, uh, the way that Beno would think the way uh, uh, as Trump works. But there are resemblances. There are adaptations. Uh, there are uh, mutual borrowings uh, of, of, of influence uh, happening uh, among them.
0: I think this is a conversation that could continue on and we could keep on pulling on different strings. I want to encourage our listeners to read this article. We'll leave a link in the uh, show notes. Is there any resources uh, that you can think of uh, for people who are interested? I know you uh, mentioned the book by Benjamin Cowan uh, in the article and and in this conversation, but is there any kind of uh, books or authors or uh, anything you'd like to plug that um, people who are interested in this topic of nationalism the right and christianity in brazil or south america that you can uh encourage our listeners to
1: research further i'll just mention one more book and then i'll be curious to see what what raimundo has to say but a very good recent book that doesn't touches on bolsonaro directly but does touch on what his supporters were uh, reacting against, which was where the politics of, and, and the policies of the Workers Party uh, is uh, uh, the new book by John French, Lula and his politics of cunning. Um, it's it, it, it's a really award already award-winning book. Uh, it, I, I've heard it's being translated into Portuguese. Um, it's it, it, I think that. Uh, this kind of a very interesting uh, biography of, Luca, of Lula's political life and uh, the threat that, uh, you know, uh, a, a government that, uh, despite their limitations, have um, a deep sense of, uh, of social justice and siding with the poor. Um, kind of bring out in terms of the resistance that they face. Um, you know, uh, against the forms of Christian nationalism that we see today. Excellent.
2: I would uh, recommend a a book that's more general. Uh, It's called The Geographies of Post-Secularity, Revisioning Politics, Subjectivity and Ethics uh, by Paul Cloak, Christopher Baker, and two other authors, uh, uh, which uh, I think discuss the, and I think this is important uh, is to understand the, the current scenario, uh, not only in Brazil but in the world. I, I think the, the, when we were discussing the title of the article, we could have just gone with Christian nationalism and we would be on target uh, as well. We decided to, to, to name it religious Nationalism, uh, because uh, we see this as part of a broader phenomenon. Uh, that is uh, forming uh, in different parts of the world and involving uh, different uh, religious traditions. Uh, so uh, the, the big question here for us as scholars uh, these days is is is, is how uh, religions is shaping the world, uh, and, uh, and, and and in which ways. And there are several ways. And of course, we cannot we cannot uh, equal. Uh, any of these expressions of Christianity uh, that are uh, embraced or that embrace religious nationalism uh, as, as, as Christians as a whole, the same way that we cannot do uh, that with Islam or with uh, Buddhism uh, or with any other faith. But uh, we have to acknowledge that uh, a, a large sector. of of basically every religious uh, tradition has been co-opted by this uh, temptation (laughs) of of taking power. Uh, And I think Joan was really uh, on target when he he, uh, briefly mentioned the problem that uh, uh, much of the scholarship on the growth of Christianity in the global South has been really, sometimes even triumphalist. Uh, 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 That, for example, everything uh, that talks about the growth of Pentecostalism and the overcoming uh, among Pentecostals uh, uh, of of the political space that that previously was dominated by Catholics is seen uh, through positive lenses. The growth of Christianity in Africa, the growth of Christianity in, in Asia, I think everything needs to be nuanced. Uh, needs to be complicated. Uh, and, and right now, uh, actually, uh, I, I, there's a, a, an article in, uh, that uh, I, I have co-authored with Fabio P, a uh, Brazilian theologian so- sociologist, who has written so much uh, on what he calls Christofascismo, uh, the fascist uh, faith face of, of Christianity in Brazil uh, through bolsonarism. But he uh, and I, we have been uh, also paying attention to the numbers of young, young people leaving the churches, leaving this very church that are growing. Uh, and that may be the next phenomenon for us to pay attention to because the growth of Pentecostals in Brazil and other parts of Latin America not necessarily means a triumph of Pentecostalism or of Protestantism or even of Christianity. Uh, And so understanding, I think, the context uh, and what this this book calls a a post-secular context in which religion uh, is actually helping uh, shape reality and and, and politics and and the role that the prominent role that religious is is having today. In different parts of the world means uh, that we are ready. We, We need to be ready to Uh, understand the complexities of this phenomenon.
0: Wonderful, thank you so much to you both for spending this time with us. And uh, I hope that our our paths cross again and we can do another one of these. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Steven. Thank you. Thank you you very much. Good to see you both. Bye.
0: This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.